and I, I don't know if I can't remember preaching this passage on a on a Sunday morning. I'm sure I did, um, but um, this is frequently a text I use for weddings. Um, so, anyway, you get you get well. This is um, I, I actually worked on this. I just didn't bring out a wedding sermon for you all. So, uh, uh, but this is actually one of my favorite passages to preach for weddings, and it's obviously why obvious why. So, listen to the word of God that comes to us from the second chapter of the Gospel of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it, and when the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, for the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Canaan of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed we may encounter you, the living word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are multiple things that can go wrong at a wedding. I don't know how many weddings I've performed. I could probably figure it out. But I've seen a, multi- I've seen a lot of things go wrong. Um, first of all, a bride or groom can be late or missing. Okay. Now, I've never permanently lost a bride or a groom, all right? but there have been moments where there was a little tension because we, they could not be found. Uh, uh, I was doing a Jewish Christian wedding one time, and the rabbi got lost. All right? So that was a bit of a, bit of a challenge. Um, I had a time where there was a drunken bagpipe player. Uh, I, I really shouldn't tell you that story from up front. So you can, we'll just say that I dealt with the drunken bagpipe player and uh, he never came to my church again. Um, I've had people forget the ring, okay? <laughs> uh, and uh, someone run out in the middle of the service to get it. Uh, family tensions. There are all kinds of different family tensions that come out, you know, before the wedding. Uh, I got a, when I was in Texas. I had just come out of seminary. I was in Texas, and I got a phone call from a man uh, threatening me. He said, "You better not marry our boy to that woman." <laughs> to which I said, first of all, do not threaten me, sir." And secondly, your son's 50 years old, and he's a judge. All right. I think he. I think he. I think if he doesn't know what he's doing now, nobody's going to save him. Um, there, I had a, a staff person. She had been an intern and then had been uh, one of our youth directors, and uh, she got engaged. And um, nice, nice young, nice young couple. And she, uh, I was doing the, the wedding with her, with her uh, fiance's or her husband's uh, pastor, who was a young guy, really kind of 
full of Vimmenberger at one of these non-denominational churches, and we were, we were doing the wedding together. I was doing the service. He was going to give the sermon. So we get through the scripture readings, and he starts a sermon, and I look at the bridegroom, and you know, one of the great things about doing a wedding is you have a really unique viewpoint. Okay, You get to see what they're looking like. You get to see what's there going on between them. And I looked at her, and she, and she was wobbly. And she was pale. And yeah, this young guy is preaching about the virtues of marriage. And, and, uh, and she looks at me, and she's going, I'm sick. And she starts to wobble a little bit. And I've, it's interesting. I've never, you, know, you don't usually see people run in wedding dresses. But it's kind of a graceful, beautiful thing. As she runs out the building and gets sick right before she gets out the door and goes out. So, of course, the mother, you know, everybody's kind of panicky. But, you know, I, I just, I, I, you know, look at the groom. I go, it's going to be okay. It's all right. Well, this guy keeps preaching. He hasn't stopped preaching yet, okay? At <laughs> this point, the groom, you know, you know when they talk about people getting green? You know, I think that's usually an exaggeration. This guy turned green. I don't know they had gotten food poisoning the night before. He, he literally turns green. He starts to faint. So I catch him. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the guy keeps preaching. And, um, and, and he looks at me, and he, you know, I can say, I go, go ahead and go. So he runs out the other door. So the, the groom is sick one way. The bride's sick the other way. This guy keeps preaching. I finally said, I turned to him, I go, give it a rest, man. Just give it a rest. And I, I turned to the congregation and I go, okay, we're going to have a timeout. We're, this is halftime of the wedding, so talk among yourselves. And uh, about 20 minutes later, everybody, uh, everybody got cleaned up. And, it, it, you know, obviously it's a, it's a very memorable event. And they're still together and they have three beautiful children. So that all worked out. Um, but obviously, you're, there's often so much pressure that goes into these days, and all kinds of things can go wrong. Um, in Jesus' day, and, and to this day, marriage is vitally important within Judaism. Um, you know, matter of fact, Jesus not getting married uh, is kind of an unusual thing. He wasn't the only one. John the Baptist probably wasn't married either. There was a movement during the time of Jesus where people, because they were saying it is the last days, there were kind of a protest of not getting married, but that's unusual. Marriage is a very holy, in many ways, the central, the central institution of Judaism, the family is. Matter of fact, according to the Talmud, uh, 40 days before a male child is born, God selects the, uh, the bride that will be married to him. So they're literally a soulmate in heaven is formed for them. Um, the Talmud also says on their wedding day, bride and grooms are forgiven of all their previous sins. It's almost like a mini Yom Kippur. And in some certain traditions in Judaism, uh, the bride and groom are treated like a king and queen. And their home just for that day becomes the palace and people treat them accordingly. Now, I don't know how many of these things, you know, the Talmud was written several centuries after the time of Jesus, or at least the oral tradition is written down, and then the Talmud's written three or four centuries later. But whatever the traditions were at the time of Jesus, it was very important. The, the wedding day was a sacred event. 
And we don't know this couple what kind of funding or finances they had, but whether they were poor or whether they had some means, this was considered the most important day of their life. And for a few minutes, it was on the verge of being the worst day of their life. Now, what's interesting to me about in John's Gospel, in John's Gospel, it's, a, it's kind of a mystical Gospel. There, there, there are things about John that are very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But the first miracle of Jesus in John's Gospel is him basically, basically saving a party. Now, there is a tendency to spiritualize this, both in Roman Catholic churches and in Protestant churches. I think marriage is sacramental, but not because of this story. And I think marriage is very important, but again, not because of this passage. I think the power, if not the punchline, of this whole story is that Jesus chose not to heal the sick, give sight to the blind, feed the hungry, raise the dead for his first miracle. His first miracle was saving a party, saving what was the most important day of the, in the lives of this young couple and their families. He basically helped them save face in their village. Now, one of the reasons I think we over-spiritualize this story, and I'll warn you, down the road, I'm, <laughs> towards the end of the sermon, I'm going to spiritualize it a little bit too, is sometimes we have this false idea of dividing the sacred from the secular. Right? Uh, we, we feel that somehow there's one realm where God is important, and then the other realm where we do kind of whatever we want to. Right? But this division between the sacred and secular uh, is, is not something that is at the heart of what the biblical message is. And, and I think that's what's really powerful about this story. You know, God is present to the totality of our lives. Uh, Smargatus was Charlemagne's confessor. And he paraphrased St. Augustine by saying, God is always with us, but we are not always with God. Really, I think the task of life, the task of certainly the life of faith, is recognizing the presence of God in all of the ordinary times in our lives. And this story is, is Jesus showing up in what was an extraordinary day for this family. But in reality, nothing got changed in the world because of what Jesus did here. But everything for this family. Now, I think it's always interesting to think of the context. For instance, um, Jesus shows up at the wedding, all right, and you wonder why they ran out of wine. Okay, it's kind of you know poor planning. Maybe part of the reason they ran out of wine is because when Jesus shows up, he's got twelve guys uh, following along with him. All right, <laughs> that could have been could have been part of the problem. Uh, but I think. There are some, and here I, I will venture into the preacher land. I'm going to give you kind of sermonic this text because I do think it's, it's worthy to kind of reflect on. You know, we learned this story when we're in Sunday school. Maybe you do hear it at weddings. And, and I think we miss kind of the, the beauty of the story 
First of all, Jesus is a little bit reluctant, all right? So, you know, you're not the only one whose mother tells you stuff you don't want to hear, right? Okay. Jesus' Jesus' mom is kind of interfering here a little bit, all right? As mothers will do at times. Fathers do it as well. I'm not, I want to give equal time to that, all right? And um, there's a crisis. They run out, they run out of wine. And so I think one of the reasons that Jesus was at this wedding uh, was because he was invited. Jesus came to the wedding because he was invited. No, Paul Stokey of Peter, Paul, and Mary uh, wrote a song. Maybe some of you had it at your own weddings. It was probably sung at thousands and thousands of weddings in the 70s and 80s. It begins... Uh, the opening line is, He has come to be among you at the wedding of your hearts. And, and the power of the song is that, you know, Jesus was invited to this wedding. And the implication is that we too are called to invite Jesus into our lives. Now, if God's already there, why do we need to do that, right? I mean, if God's already all around us, why do we need to do that? Well, part of it is being intentional about being present to God. Being aware that God is part of your day. Whether it's in your driving, whether it is in the quiet, or even in the busy. Do you take time to invite God to be present to your day? And particularly, I think this can happen, help when you're going, let's say something's going wrong. If you have a particular difficult co-worker, or you're, you're frustrated with the kids. Or you're just tired. Or you're having to do something mundane. You know, usually like when we're around beauty, when we're at the ocean or the mountains or, you know, you're, you're holding a baby or you, or you see something beautiful piece of art or this wonderful piece of music, beauty kind of immediately brings us to something of the divine. But, the, but the, the lesson here is God's present to all of our moments. The most mundane, the most painful. The most lonely. And so Jesus was at this wedding because he, he was invited. Uh, secondly, it turns out that it, he was needed to be at this wedding, right? Things would have gone dramatically wrong if uh, Jesus had not been at this wedding. And we need Jesus in our lives as well. I, you know, one of the things that's, that's, I think, hard for us is to be open about our dependencies. You know, we spend so much of our lives trying to be independent. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, isn't that the, one of the constant onslaughts, you know, the messages that we get, all those financial messages? Uh, I mean, the TD Bank commercials. I'm, I'm, by the way, I don't get paid for saying TD Bank. Uh, I should, they're my bank. I should, maybe should at least get something free for sound telling them that. All right, I'll send them this tape. But those TD Bank commercials where, you know, they're kind of funny, they're having these conversations, but the underlying thing is, you know, what's going to happen to you? Are you prepared for the future? All right? And there's nothing wrong about being prudent. All right? But the truth of the matter is that we are contingent beings. We are 
radically and desperately dependent on things that are out of our control. Again, we all need a little bit of denial to live in the world, right? We can't constantly be thinking about how vulnerable we were or we would never drive our cars, all right? I mean, I mean let's stop and think. Think about how much trust you have to people you don't know when you drive your car. Okay, now none of you are going to come back next week because you're terrified now to drive. That's not the punchline, right? But even just that, how, how vulnerable we are. And so there's a sense where by reaching out and recognizing that we need Christ, we, that is one concrete thing we can do in a world of things we have no control over. Jesus was at the wedding because he was needed to be there. He needs to be a part of our lives. And he's always present to we allow him to be present. You know, I was thinking of, um, uh, if I could, you know, I, I, if I had my guitar, I could just pull it out and we could sing this Towns Van Zandt song, If You Needed Me. And I think it's a powerful love song. It's really a beautiful song. But I think, I think it also speaks to, to Christ. If you needed me, would you, if I needed you, would you come to me? Would you come to me and ease my pain? If you needed me, I would come to you. I'd swim the seas for to ease your pain. Well, maybe you have that kind of love. Maybe you don't. But that's the kind of love that God offers us. Jesus was needed, and he was there. And, and then I think perhaps the most radical of all, because, you know, as Christians, we, we, we talk about, you know, inviting God into our lives. As Christians, we certainly in part are here because we feel like we need something. Okay, we need God in our lives or we need something, right? But the truth is that God wants us. Jesus is there because he wanted to be there. Now, it's kind of a funny story, right? You know, and there's a, well, I mean, it's not funny if you're the groom or the bride, but it's funny in that the wine steward comes and nobody knows Jesus did what he did, and the wine steward comes up and says, Hey, what did you do? You're supposed to say, you're supposed to give the good stuff first, okay? And then when everybody's drunk, you bring out the cheat stuff, okay? Not a bad principle for parties, right? Okay? You know, you leave with the good stuff and then whatever, all right? But there's something really beautiful underlying this. Because Jesus wanted to help them. And the only people who knew he did it was his mom, a couple servants, then the disciples. He didn't do it to bring attention to himself. Now in John's Gospel, the miracles are signs to bring glory to God, to show who Jesus was. But the very first miracle in John's Gospel, one of the most memorable ones, he does it in secret. Because he just wanted to help this young couple out. Because he loved them. One of the most important ideas about the way God's love is different from ours is that God's love is disinterested. In other words, God just loves. He doesn't love based on outcome. Okay? He, he just he just loves. You know, you know, for instance, it's kind of like when you had your kids, or I've got some art from my grandkids, but you know, your your five year old makes a drawing 
right? And you put it on your refrigerator, and whatever it's supposed to look like, it doesn't, right? I mean, I could never get I could never get the wagon on the hill, you know. I never figured that out. The depth perception. I could. I think my mom for years kept this picture of a wagon that looks like it's flying in the air on the hill, right? I could never figure that. I still haven't quite figured that one out yet. So you don't want me helping out with crafts. Okay, that would be a really bad thing to do. All right. Anyway, but you put this picture on the refrigerator, and anyone else in the world would look at that picture and say, "Well, oh, that's yeah, that's that's ugly," or that looks like a five-year-old made it, right? But it's a masterpiece to you. Why? Because because you love the artist. You know, it's I think. God has a giant refrigerator in the sky. Okay? If he did, he'd have our stuff on it. <laughs> Some of the things we think are the messes of our lives, but because he loves us, he delights in us. One of the greatest spiritual writers of all time was Julian of Norwich. Uh, she was a 14th century, lived into the 15th century, um, anchorist, uh, which means her she lived a solitary life connected to the cathedral in Norwich. If you get to Norwich, England, you can go see it to this day. Well, it's been rebuilt. The Germans blew it up during World War II, but you can see where it is anyway. And she had a deep vision of God, but she also asked some very bold questions. Matter of fact, she's a, she's a doctor of the Catholic Church. And what she said was this. She asked God why there was so much suffering in the world. She has this vision of the crucified Christ. And, and she says, why did this have to happen? Then she goes, why is there so much suffering in the world? She lived during the plague, okay, during the Hundred Year War, and also when there was great oppression and uh, burning of heretics. Okay? So she lived in a very troubled time. So her questions of why are, is the world so bad was based on imperial data. Okay, And this is what the vision of Christ said to her. Because she asked, why, does all, why are we here? And Christ said to her, what do you wish to know your Lord's meaning is in this thing? No, well, love was his meaning. Who reveals it to you? Love. What did he reveal to you? Love. Why does he reveal it to you? For love. Remain in this and you will know more of the same. Now, there are geophysical reasons why life exists. There are evolutionary biological explanations for why life arose on this planet. But the ultimate reason why there is existence, the ultimate reason you are here, is because of God's love. That is your cause. That is your destiny. And the task for you and I is to be present to that love here and now. Why does Jesus show up in his life and our lives? Because he wants, he wants to be there. Because he loves us. And he wants us to experience least glimpses of that love in this life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and Amen.
let us stand together and say what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus.